Good morning, church, and happy Easter. Today is Resurrection Sunday, that day of the year that we focus on and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, maybe in a unique and more intense way than we normally do. And this morning, I really do want to us, I want to lead us to celebrate Christ who has risen from the dead. I want us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. But I also want us to celebrate the necessity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That it had to be. So if you would, please grab your Bibles. And if you would stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God, our sermon text from today will be Luke 24. Read verses 1 through 11. Luke 24, verses 1 through 11. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. They, meaning the women who saw where Jesus was buried, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. When I was in college, I was taking a theology class where we had to give a report on an attribute of God. And I chose for the attribute that I was going to give a report on the freedom of God. That God is free. That there is uh, nothing that he cannot do that he wants to do. We get this from passages like Psalm 115, verse 3, which says that our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. I love this attribute of God because it shows that there is no one who tells God what to do because he has supreme authority. There is no one who forces God to do something he doesn't want to do because he has omnipotent power able to do all his holy will. God is not constrained or restrained by any external force. God is free. He is completely and absolutely sovereign in control of all things, and so he's free to do whatever he wants to do. And I love, in connection to this, the gospel. The gospel means good news, but it's not just a good news or some good news. It is the good news. It's the good news about Jesus Christ, and it's the good news for sinners. And don't we need good news? It's the good news that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save sinners, all by grace, by God's sovereign and free grace. 
giving us what we do not deserve and could never earn. And I love these two doctrines of the, free, the freedom of God and this free grace of God. And yet, I also love the fact that the cross and the resurrection were matters of divine necessity. They had to be. Let's go back to our text. I want to focus mainly on verses 6 and 7 this morning. The angels, that's who these two men in dazzling apparel are, they were frightened by them. And we see in verse 23 that they were angels. They, they come to the women and they say, he is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, the Messiah, he must be delivered in the hands of sinful men. Notice that word must. It's from a, a little Greek word, day. And it means it is necessary. It's something that is obligatory. It has to be. The Son of Man must. And that word governs the next three phrases that follow it. The Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men. He must be crucified. And yes, on the third day, he must rise. He must rise. Verse 4 says that they were perplexed when they went to the tomb and saw it empty. The angels ask, why? Why are you perplexed? And why are you looking for him here among the tombs where dead people are? He's alive. He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you that already. You go back in Luke 9.22 and it says the exact same words. The Son of Man must not only die, but he must rise. And then look at verse 11. When the women go and tell the disciples, the other 11 and the rest, these words seem to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. I don't think the disciples were really all that... Um, had a hard time struggling with doubting that God could do such a thing. They believed in the God of the Old Testament, their Bible. They believed that, that God was the one who brought down ten miraculous plagues on the Egyptians and parted the Red Sea. They believed that this God shook Mount Sinai and gave them his word that he came through prophets through holy men like Elijah and Elisha, and he already had raised the dead before. They didn't doubt that God could do this. I think they struggled to believe that God would do this. Why would he do such a thing? Is that, is that really what God would do? Is that part of his plan? It doesn't make sense. As, as we read the, the Old Testament, that's not what they saw. Is this really the kind of way God works? And does he love us this much? And it was such a weird way that he would love us if indeed he would do this. The disciples needed their faith in Jesus and his resurrection strengthened. But don't we all? And that's my prayer this morning, is that God would strengthen your faith in Jesus and in his resurrection, and perhaps for you, that he would create that faith this morning. As we focus on not, not only that he rose from the dead, but that he had to rise from the dead. And notice how how the angels here seek to encourage and strengthen their faith in verse 6. It says, he is not here but has risen. It says, he rose from the dead. But they didn't stop there. They didn't just prove that he has risen, but that the Son of Man must rise. That he had to. Jesus had to rise from the dead. The resurrection of Christ was an absolute necessity. It could not have been otherwise. It was a matter of real necessity of what must be. But why? Why did it have to be? 
I want to give you three reasons. There are more, I'm sure, but I want to give you just three reasons this morning why Jesus had to rise from the dead. And I want to show you from Scripture because it is by hearing the word of Christ that faith comes and is strengthened. So the first reason why Jesus had to rise from the dead is for the sake of Jesus' vindication. For the sake of him being vindicated, that's what was at stake. You see, Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. He created the world, and he walked into his creation, and they didn't recognize him. They refused to acknowledge him. He was rejected and despised. He claimed to be the Son of Man. That's the Messiah, the promised one. He claimed to be the Son of God, and he claimed that he would lay down his life and take it up again. That on the third day, he would rise. Jesus said it. We see in verse 6. Remember the angels say, Remember how he told you this? That he must rise? In verse 8, And they remembered his words. Oh yeah, he did say that, didn't he? But when he said it, most people thought he was crazy or possessed by a demon. They leveled a charge against him, even unto his own crucifixion of blasphemy. How dare you say such a thing? But Jesus was innocent. He was telling the truth. Indeed, he is the truth itself, the very standard of truth. He is the Son of Man, the Son of God. And what slander did he endure? What injustice at the hands of sinful men. You can look with me in Isaiah chapter 53. We see it prophesies of the Messiah, the suffering servant. In verse 3, it says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. He was humiliated. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God. He was pierced and crushed. He was oppressed and afflicted. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, they considered that he was cut off from the land of the living and made his grave with the wicked. And with a rich man in his death. And yet, verse 10. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. You see, this was God's plan all along. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt on the cross, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. How does that make sense that a dead man shall prolong his days? It was the will of the Lord to crush him, and yet at the end of verse 10, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Those who are in the grave don't prosper. Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. When he was at his lowest point, abandoned by all, even his father on the cross, bearing not just pain, but sin and shame, he shall see and be satisfied. Only by his resurrection. Therefore, in verse 12, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Why? Because he poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made, his, made intercession for the transgressors. You see, by his holy life, and by his obedient and sacrificial death, Jesus earned his resurrection. 1 Timothy 3.16, Paul says that he was vindicated by the Spirit. Look with me in Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. 
Paul says that about Jesus that he being found in human form, going from the glory of heaven down to earth to be, take on humanity, he humbled himself even further by becoming obedient as a servant to the point of death, and even at the worst kind of death, death on a cross. And because of his obedient sacrifice and humiliation, therefore, verse 9, because of that, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Or as Hebrews 13.20 says, that God the Father raised up his Son by or because of the blood of the covenant. That is, because Jesus shed his blood unto death on the cross to inaugurate this new covenant. Therefore, because of that, God raised him from the dead. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not come merely after the crucifixion, but because of it. Because of it. Now, it's not as though that everyone who is crucified gets uh, to earn resurrection by it. No, many people have died and many people were killed even by crucifixion and they did not earn resurrection. But what's the difference then? See, their, their crucifixion was because of their sin. Jesus' crucifixion was for ours. They, they were put to death because of their disobedience to the Father. Jesus was put to death because of his obedience to the Father. And even those, those people who were innocent of the claims that they would be, should be crucified, those people who were unjustly put to death, they were crucified bearing the wrath of man. Jesus was crucified bearing the wrath not only of man, but of God. Because of his life, because of who he was, and because of his obedient death on the cross, Jesus earned his crucifixion, or his resurrection, rather. The glorious resurrection of Christ was the reward for his willing and determined obedience in bearing the shame of the cross. If Jesus didn't rise, then they were all right. They were, they were correct in saying that he was a lunatic or a liar. But you see, he had to rise because he is the Lord. The vindication of the worthiness of the Son of God was at stake. Jesus is the only one truly worthy of life because the wages of sin is death and we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God but Jesus is the sinless one Jesus had to rise because he must prove himself to be the only one worthy of trust and obedience and worship so because of who Jesus is the son of man and the son of God and because of what he did in his sacrificial obedience on the cross his resurrection became a matter of justice. And since God is just, he could not do otherwise except then raise his son from the dead. It was morally right that Jesus, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Christ, the Promised One, the Holy, Obedient, and Sinless Son of God, it mu he must be raised. It was a matter of moral obligation and divine necessity. Jesus had to rise. But he had to rise not only for his vindication, but also for our salvation. I might have used this illustration before, but if, if you've seen the, uh, the first Avengers movie, near the end, Nick Fury, the, the leader of S.H.I.E.L.D., is talking to his second command, Maria Hill, and she says, what happens now, sir? 
Like, they've all gone their separate ways, some of them very far away. Speaking of the Avengers of Thor and the Hulk and Captain America, Iron Man, they all, they all went on their separate ways. He says, what if we get in a situation like this again? What then? And he says, they'll come back. Are you sure about that? Yes, I am. Why? He says, because we will need them to. You see, Jesus had to rise because we desperately needed him to. We need the resurrection of Jesus. Let me illustrate that Jesus, is, Jesus defeated death in his resurrection because we needed him to overcome the wages of sin. And the wages of sin is death. So that he could then free us from the condemnation for our sin that we deserve and the wrath of God in hell that we had earned. 1 Corinthians 15, that great passage on the resurrection, Paul says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But then he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Or as he says in Romans 4.25, that the, the, the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus are like the wings of a plane. You need them both because he was raised for our justification. Jesus had to rise in order to secure our forgiveness and reconciliation with God and life everlasting with him and for him. He had to secure it because we couldn't. We couldn't do anything to save ourselves. As the old song, that hymn, The Rock of Ages, says, not the labors of my hands. Like, like all of our efforts, all of our obedience, if, if we could have great zeal and passion and tears could forever flow, none of that would work to cover our sin. All of that for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Jesus had to rise, for no one and nothing else could save sinners. But... Jesus also had to be raised to life again because we needed him to conquer death for us. We needed him to conquer death to give us hope, a solid hope, not only of heaven when we die, but of that great resurrection in the end and of the new creation. Jesus had to die so that we could face death without fear. And we could face death with hope, dare we say even with joy. Augustus Montague, top lady, who wrote that hymn, The Rock of Ages, was dying. He was around 37 or 38. And he went to his doctor. And the doctor listened to his heart and he says, Augustus, I'm sorry, but your heart is getting weaker and weaker every day. And Augustus smiled. And he responded to his doctor, why, that is a good sign that my death is fast approaching. And blessed be God, I can add that my heart beats stronger and stronger every day for glory. He was looking forward with great hope and anticipation and expectation for life after death. Why? Because he believed what Jesus said to Martha, the sister of Lazarus, whom he was about to raise when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Beloved, may your hearts and may your faith be strengthened even in the valley of the shadow of death because you really believe that to live is Christ and to die is simply gain because you get him, him who is alive, him, he who had to rise, and therefore because he had to rise, so do you.
And Jesus was resurrected from the dead because we needed him to rise so as to receive all power and authority so that he could then ascend and reign on high and intercede for his people so that we would receive every divine blessing, every spiritual help and aid in every trial and temptation that we face. As the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 7.25, that Jesus can save to the uttermost. He is able to save us completely. Why? Because he's alive and he always lives. He ever lives to make intercession for his people. Jesus had to rise in order to be able to grant that the resurrection power of the Almighty God could run through our souls, enabling us to flee temptation and to fight against our sin and to resist the devil himself and to pursue holiness and to live by faith and to live for Jesus. But this power can only come from the one who has the power of life and resurrection in himself. So because of who we are, we need Jesus to rise. Our sinfulness, our helplessness, our condemnation required both the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It was an issue of practical necessity if Jesus was going to save us fully and he couldn't stay dead. And if the Father's love for us was going to be fully poured out and made effective for our everlasting salvation and every spiritual blessing, then Jesus had to rise. He had to rise because the love of God the Father for unworthy sinners like us compelled him to raise his son. God is love. And so he had to raise his son for us. It was the overwhelming love of God the Father, this holy God, that would make him bind himself to save sinners through raising his son from the dead. Which leads us to the third reason why Jesus had to rise. He had to rise for the sake of his own vindication, for the sake of our, just, our, our salvation, but also for the sake of God's honor. God's honor was at stake. God bound himself, you see, to raise Jesus, his son, for sinners. God had planned the resurrection he had promised the resurrection. He had prophesied the resurrection of his son. In Luke 24, the reason why the angels reminded them that Jesus had said he must rise is Jesus said that that's what was given to him. Same chapter, verse 25. Luke 24, verse 25. Jesus shows up to these two disciples. They're walking on this road after his resurrection. They're on the way to Emmaus, and they don't recognize him yet. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. We all can be slow of heart to believe. All that the prophet, prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary, same Greek word, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He said, it's, it's written. It has to be this way. And then in the rest, at the end of Luke, starting at verse 36, going through to the end, Jesus shows up in the upper room with his disciples. And here he appears before them. They recognize him, but they're astonished. And verse 38 says, Jesus says, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? They needed their faith strengthened. And so he says, see my hands and my feet. 
You can touch me. I'm here. I'm really risen from the dead. Give me food to eat. I'll prove it to you. But then he goes beyond that. He doesn't just prove that he has risen from the dead. He goes on to strengthen their faith by proving that he had to rise from the dead. Look at verse 44. Luke 24, 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must, same word, must be fulfilled. Then, I love this, he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Do you see, the Old Testament had always been pointing to Jesus, the Messiah who would die and rise, but they didn't get it. They didn't see it, so he had to open their minds to understand what the Scriptures had always been saying. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. God is just. God is loving and God is faithful, so he had to keep his promise to raise his son from the dead. The very heart of the Bible's ultimate focus and therefore the Bible's truthfulness and therefore of God's honor and his faithfulness are all at stake. They're all dependent upon Jesus rising from the dead. And Peter, at first, who thinks it's an idle tale that the women tell him, he goes to the tomb and he's still perplexed. He sees Jesus and he still is disbelieving for joy and he's marveling. After Jesus proves to him not only that he has risen, but that he had to rise. Peter, 50 days later, goes to Pentecost and he preaches a message. And he says in Acts 2, verse 23, that Jesus was delivered up according to the plan of God, that he was crucified by sinful men, as we read in Luke 24. But it was according to God's plan. And then God raised him because that also was according to God's plan. He says... In effect, that this perfect, eternal, unalterable plan of the all-wise God included the resurrection of the Christ, and therefore it could not have been otherwise. He says in verse 24 of Acts 2, that it was impossible, impossible for death to hold Jesus in. Why? Because he was the, the sinless Son of God? Indeed, but that's not what he has, says. Was because he earned the resurrection by his obedient death on the cross? Indeed, but again, that's not what he says. It was impossible for death to hold Jesus down. Why? Because we needed him to? And if he was going to save us, he had to? Yes, but that's not what he says. He says in verse 25, the reason why it was impossible for Jesus to be held by death is because it is written. It was written in Psalm 16 by David himself. God prophesied and said, the Holy One should not see corruption. And he says that David, he preaches them, David died. And he was buried in a tomb, and he's still there. You can go dig up his bones. He must not have been talking about himself. He foresaw the future, and he pointed to the Christ who was to come. Jesus died. He was buried. But go to his tomb, and you won't find him. He is not there, for he is risen. He had to rise. Peter's saying that the ultimate focus here of the Scripture, the ultimate fulfillment of what God had promised and prophesied through his prophets, was the resurrection of Jesus. And therefore, because this is what God planned, this is what he promised, this is what he prophesied, it had to be. This is both a moral obligation and a practical necessity. Jesus had to rise. And here we see a contrast of the free graciousness of God and the absolute mustness 
of the resurrection. It was a gift of grace. Grace means that we don't deserve his kindness. Grace means that we cannot earn his goodness. It means we will never be worthy of his mercy. But listen, grace does not mean that it's not obligated. I'm going to say this, and I want you to listen carefully. God owes his people love. He owes every one of his people saving love. But only by virtue of his freely determined self-binding. That is that we have not, indeed we cannot, obligate God to us. But in his free and sovereign grace, he has obligated himself to us. By covenant through Christ, God has necessitated his saving love to all of his people by promise. And yes, God was absolutely free to make this promise or not. He didn't have to. This was free to promise this. And and again, we needed it, but we couldn't deserve it. We couldn't obligate. We couldn't make him give this promise. But since he has given this promise, and since God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind, God has to keep his promise. He would cease to be just and loving and faithful. He would cease to be himself if he didn't keep his promise. Because of who God is, Jesus had to rise. Do you see how stabilizing and comforting and faith-strengthening this is, beloved? That Jesus rose from the dead because God bound himself up with his promise in your salvation. It couldn't be otherwise. It was a true must for God the Father to raise his Son from the dead. And therefore, it is an absolute must that since Jesus now ever lives, that God would complete his saving work through his son. Jesus had to rise because the plans and promises of God to save sinners and therefore the very faithfulness, the very honor, the very justice and love and nature of God himself all rests most significantly and necessarily on this one historical event, the resurrection of Jesus. He had to rise. If we are to be saved, Jesus had to rise. If Jesus was to be vindicated, then he had to be resurrected. If God was to be honored, then he had to raise his son from the dead. May the Holy Spirit strengthen your faith to believe this, that Jesus had to rise. We needed it. Jesus deserved it, and the Father promised it. But this morning, if you don't really think you need Jesus... If you don't really believe that you need him to die and to rise for you. And if you don't really believe that Jesus is worthy of being resurrected and worthy of your faith and of your obedience and your love and your worship. And if you aren't really trusting in the promises of God that center on the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. then this Resurrection Sunday can offer you no hope. Until you turn and trust in this risen Savior. So as we are about to take of communion this morning, if this is where you are at this morning and you're struggling, or maybe you just say, I don't believe, then stay where you are. When others come up, please stay where you are. I say that not to shame you, but to give you an opportunity to bow your head and to pray. To give you an opportunity to meditate again on these 
faith-creating words of Luke 24, verse 7, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and he must be crucified, and on the third day he must rise. And yet, this morning, if you do have faith, you do have faith in Jesus. You believe that he is worthy. You believe in his resurrection. And you've had this faith affirmed by other believers in a local church by being baptized. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to exit to your left and come up to one of these tables and grab the communion elements, this bread and the juice, with the gluten-free being to the, your far left here. And to go back to your seat to the right and to take it with faith and asking the Lord to strengthen your faith that not only did he die and rise, but that he had to. Because he made it so. All because of his grace. Because God is just. He is loving. And he is faithful. For those who should come, and only for those who should come. When you are ready, and only when you are ready, please come.